All right, Grizz Nation, we are back. Rolling. We are rolling. We are going to talk about uh, the end of the season basketball recap. Uh, we have an awesome guest. His name is Josh Clixby, right? If I'm saying the last name right? Yep. Awesome. Uh, Grizz fan uh, from San Diego area, has been following the Grizz since he was a young kid himself. So welcome to the podcast, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on tonight. Uh, yeah. This should be fun. This should be fun. Yeah, yeah. So Josh, just right off the bat, man, just give a little bit about who you are in your affiliation with Montana in general. Yeah, um, I'm a Missoula native. Went to school at Big Sky High School in the west part of town. Um, went to school at the University of Montana. Graduated with a uh, degree in history and uh, secondary teaching degree. And then I taught for about uh, five years in Montana, uh, three years in Thompson Falls, which is up in the northwestern part of the state. Mm-hmm. And then I taught for a couple of years in Sims. And then I moved on to Idaho in the land of lava rocks and dairy cattle mm-hmm. uh, for 10 years. <laughs> and then uh, I moved to here, but I've been a Grizz fan and followed uh, Grizzly Athletics from pretty much uh, a young age. My parents had season tickets to both men's and women's basketball games and then uh, football games. So I was have been a pretty avid fan. And then I've been uh, a coach uh, for much of my teaching career, uh, both in basketball, football, and and baseball as well so that's that's pretty much me in a nutshell i guess mm-hmm. no man just 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 like the rest of us man we're just three fans that really just like talking ball which is why exactly. we invited josh on the podcast today it just adds to the conversation adds to perspective i was just telling josh maybe a couple of minutes ago that i'm not a basketball guy yet by any means this is this not, whole yet. Bas- not yet not buddy. yet not, not yet, yet. <laughs> Adam's converting me slowly but surely, man. But it is definitely a work in progress, man. We just want to say thank you for, you know, just hopping off first and foremost, yeah. man. We're really just happy that that you're interested and want to come on the show. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Again, again, I really appreciate it. And, you know, anytime that we can sort of spread some grisly love, you know, Tell me that's about where I'm that. at. Well, hey, let's get into this, guys. You know, let's start with the men's basketball. It wasn't, wasn't how we wanted to end. Again, yep. you know, 18 and 14 overall. Let's just do a recap here. Uh, awesome record at home, 14 and 3. Away was 4 and 10. Conference, we're 11 and 9. And the big thing is, is I believe they were 3, 3 and 7, I believe, going after that eight and two kind of record going into it they finished the year off a little hard that could be to a quite a different uh things and and it could be injury it could be we, we lost a huge guy on our defense with mac anderson but let's go into some, some of the things josh you probably know uh the fans out there well, these are just the conference rankings of where we stood as a basketball so scoring offense uh, number eight in the, the whole entire big sky. Uh, scoring defense, we're number one. Uh, free throw percentage, number one. Uh, field goal percentage, that would be number five in the big sky. Uh, Three-point percentage, we are number seven. Uh, rebounding, we are last, offensively and defensively. <laughs> um, and then, you know, you look at block shots, number three. Assist to turnover ratio, we're number one. And, and turnovers, we're number Overall turnovers, we're number two. Uh, if you go into more of the defensive side, three-point defense, we're number seven. Rebounding defensively, we're number seven as well. The huge thing that kind of stares out to me is rebounding. And mm-hmm. in that defense, and Josh and, and Angel butt in when you want to, but the defense when we started was something that we were like, oh, that's going to be a linchpin all year round, right? That was what we saw that was going to be a strong uh we knew going into rebounding was going to be hard from the start of it we were getting out rebounded by a lot and so that going further into the season the defense kind of just leveled off and during those bigger games it, it wasn't that good yeah I, I agree um one of the i think the things that played out towards the last half of the year especially in the conference season is as teams see the grizz once um the the biggest issue is that most teams can have a hard time adjusting to that intense uh, sort of pack line defensive style that Dakira likes to run. But that second time around, just about everybody uh, made the adjustments. And this year, they're just not a counter. And I, that's where I think a lot of the defensive exposure happened. But again, it sort of coincides when when they lose their sort of center of their defense in Mac Anderson. I, I don't know that, that a lot of teams, uh, especially a with the style that the U of M runs can handle it without having that sort of central hedge and, 
middle of the key defender, and they just didn't have it at the end of the year. Yeah. And teams just are able to manipulate the heck out of them. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you're going through Josh as uh, as well. The big sky is is so differently in, in how the teams play. You've got your juggernauts in Weaver State and, and Montana State that go that have those post heavy oriented teams. Um, and then you've got uh, Eastern Washington, which is like a spread out. Everybody can shoot the ball. And though I, I believe those big guys hurt us. Montana State, that killed us. Northern Colorado, that killed us. Um, and so those bigger guys, when we played those big guys in the post, you could see the struggle uh, with rebounds and then just getting shots off. In the well, and and you pick up on it, especially when uh, in the first Montana State game uh, that Balo and their whole host of six foot nine guys with absurdly long arms, we were dribbling down into the middle of the key and Whitney would just spin around in circles and then throw the ball back out. But on the defensive end, uh, it became more apparent that the teams, whether it's the Jokic guy from, from Northern Colorado or whatnot, mm-hmm. the, all those guys towards the end of the year just had everything that they wanted in the middle of the key, and we just didn't have any real teeth on the defensive end. And I and I think that's a depth issue because there was nobody behind Mac Anderson. No. Blakeney was hurt all year. I mean, the guy couldn't pick his one arm up above his shoulder. And so, you know, injuries and just lack of depth just hammered the hammered that uh, front line, as it were. And in and in this conference, and you got to have some depth there, and they just haven't had it the last few years. Mm-hmm. Well, and they they did have Kyle Owens, but you know, when you don't play a lot of the first part of the season, to be thrown in after an injury happens like that is is going to be hard to kind of restart your boosters. And I, I wouldn't say Kyle Owens is 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 a big guy. I would th- I'm I'm thinking he's more of a a swing four, um, where he can sh- pop out and shoot his shoot his shot. He's not a, a big guy in the middle. No, and and I think one of the interesting things is is and this is a conversation that I had had with a few other people, um, on Twitter a while back. But the interesting thing about Owens is that Owens is probably in in high school. He's a three and. Uh, Carter Hollinger is a four. And what's really weird in this environment that they got flipped because Owens is really long-limbed. And really, I'm not going to call it that his career here was a little bit miscast, but his he was a swing four. Yeah. Um, Travis loves those three, four guys that can play both positions. But the problem is they were so thin in the post, period. Mm-hmm. They had to recast him as a post player. And the guy is about 200 pounds soaking wet. And yeah. he just got bullied and bullied and bullied. And his only real defense was moving his feet. And he's better as a four. He was absolutely not at all good as a five. Yeah. And so you're just sort of left with Carter Hollinger in the post, who's definitely more of the, the, the back you down not type three. And it's just, like I said, I feel like that it's like the, uh, it's just a bunch of guys put into positions where in, in an ideal world, they probably get a more natural look. You know, Kyle plays that sort of flex four look and Carter Hollinger is able to take those small threes and bully the crap out of them down low, but that just didn't happen. And, and I can see why Kyle Owens, you know, looking for maybe a little bit of a greener pasture decides to, to look, to check out, not because he wasn't going to get the opportunity is that you'd almost have to wonder if he just saw it and goes, you know what, I might be, be used better or in a more ideal role elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And you think you think just in general, is that where I guess our Achilles heel is? Is just big guys in the post? Yeah. Or do you think it's a combination of a couple different things? Because I think Adam touched on it a little bit. Obviously, our rebounding needs to get a lot better. And I think I don't know a whole lot about basketball, but I think that's obviously one of the biggest parts when it comes to the game in general. Rebound margin and offensive rebounds are going to be huge for us. So do you think that's where we kind of lack? Yeah. And I think that again the problem you know when you only have your tallest guy on the floor is truly um a a, a swing four in bannon mm-hmm. and he he's he's a, is a good defensive rebounder but he's never in a position offensively to be an accumulator around the rim and yeah. his skills are getting the ball 14 to 15 feet out and you know dribble spin moves to the hoop rather than 
rather than, you know, going at the rim or being around the rim, that's not his role. And so when he's your biggest guy on the offensive end, there's, we're not, we're not going to pick up rebounds anyways. Plus we were probably the smallest team in the big sky conference by a long shot. Well, and it, you know, let's go into like uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. You know, there were, you know, this was a hard season. If, if you look at uh, this season and last season, I think we got a little bit better, a little developmentally better. Um, is it up to Grizz standards and to, to, to where Grizz uh, fans usually expect? No, it's not. It, it, these last two years have been hard, um, but we're coming off of what? The three of the last five years, we've won the the big sky. And if it wasn't for that 2009, the, the pandemic year, who knows with Sadie Pridget, I, I, I wouldn't bet against that guy um, to winning no. a, you know, a fourth, you know, I, I'm just going to go down and say my good. And then you guys kind of go off that and see mm-hmm. what, if you guys have anything, you know, I was really, 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 the development of Bannon was amazing. He took a huge step mm-hmm. in, in kind of um, developing his game. Uh, with B- Whitney, his defense was amazing. Um, and he usually guarded the best offensive guy on the opposing team. Uh, I think farther down the line in the, the year, I think he got tired and, and worn down. And that's why I think you kind of saw him kind of lock with that as well, um, because he was he was doing both. He was running the offense. He was had to score, and he had to guard the, the best player. And then turnovers, we did amazing. We improved a little bit on closing games out from the past year which was a good thing to see. And then I I would say Beasley did a little bit better of getting himself out there and scoring in some games, but sometimes he would check out. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Do you guys have anything else that was that you saw that was good or Well, I you know, I I would second the thing on Josh Bannon. I, I had an argument that that at one point at the end of the end of the conference season that I thought that he was a top 5 guy in the league. And I think uh by the product of how we ended the year uh i think it sort of hurt him a little bit uh, plus i think they felt like uh, bishop probably deserved first team honors for montana state but when you go across the whole spectrum of the data he's he's a top five player in the league and i think um depending on how the cards play out elsewhere in the league i mean he would be one of the three guys i would consider for a conference player of the year candidate for next year because he was just that good uh they need obviously some complementary pieces uh, and that's i think to the same degree you know whitney for all of his skills defensively uh you know the one thing that was that in bits and pieces he looked like a dominant offensive guy but again i think what you what you echo or what i'm going to echo here i guess is that i think that he ultimately just wore down at the end i don't think that there's much argument about that i think that that's why we struggled at the end creating shots um and and it's part of it's Travis's offensive system too. But you know, and I and I I saw some other things that you know you know some some things out of Linnell Martin that mm-hmm. I thought that if given the opportunity off of the wing, the guy could be that that guy we've been looking for for two or three years. He just never got fully in the flow. I mean, he couldn't hit a hit the broadside of a barn in front of him for the first probably twelve to fifteen games of the year, and then he went on that run early in conference season where he was in line from three. And when he was hitting threes from perimeter, the team was pretty decent. But you know, they like everything else. They just were that seven man rotation. They just sort of wore out at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, I I kind of I think you guys are making some valid points. I think just kind of looking at the whole spectrum of where we've been at these past two years. The biggest thing last year was obviously we're a much better team than we were last year. You can obviously see mm-hmm. that in our play. Yeah. We've obviously made some improvements. And like Adam said, we're not where essentially we want to be. Where I think I, I think the good is is because of that, I don't think people expected us to be in any type of competition this this upcoming year in comparison to last year. So I think I think I think teams kind of undervalued us when it really kind of came down to it when we first started. But I think you guys made a good point. I think by the end of the year, they got us figured out. They got our number, you know, yeah. and that's, and we didn't adjust accordingly. Again, I, I think you said it well too, right? I think you just said it a second ago. Our turnover were, were, were awesome this year, you know, mm-hmm. and then being able to play off those turnovers and, and obviously create assists. I think that's where Cameron Parker specifically, he thrived. 
assist God. I think I said it before already. I think he did a really <laughs> good job being able to correct those assists. I just think we need to see it a little bit more consistently throughout the whole board. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, going on to the, some of the bad things that we saw, you know, inconsistent. You know, we had some games where we'd get some rebounds and where we would we we were not physical. Um, we were not one of those Grizz teams where you saw some fight, some 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 physicality to us. And so our guards Are you and talking our about on both ends of the uh, offense and defense. Yeah, I would say like, okay. like guarding, like just the, the physicality of our guarding. You know, we, we wouldn't. And with defense, you would see players like literally get to the rim. Um, and you know, a lot of that was when we lost Mac Anderson, but that physical defense that the Grizz play was not there. Um, it, it, it just felt less physical. It not that it wasn't, it wasn't as good, but the physicality to it was not there. And so the defense was inconsistent. And then the, my, and I'll get to more stuff that I think, was not bad but which was ugly later but also bad uh attendance man uh mm. i looked at the attendance we're a thousand people down at, on an average night seven we're over 7k overall um which which is down mm-hmm. um yeah. from, from year to year so um those are my bad things uh what do you guys see and do you, do you agree you know I, I i'm sort of in the same boat my my issue you know from uh from from my perspective is you know they've got to fix the offense um and i'm not and i'm not all that critical in the sense of, i don't have a problem with what they're doing it, the problem is is that we're now two years in a row where we are having an offense of extended drought six to seven minutes mm-hmm. You know, and in the in the playoff game against Weaver State, same deal. You know, we're we're up seven, and then suddenly we're down twenty. Yeah, and and most of it isn't on the defensive end. It's this inability to find easy shots at the rim. Um, all of the shots that were once there are no longer, and it just disappears. It's it, and and the thing is, is it actually was better from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, last yeah. year's offense. I was talking to. Uh, Brian Marceau, who's a U, U of I Twitter guy. And yeah. we were talking about this is that, you know, last year they settled for a crap ton of really awful, you know, 15 to 20 foot jump shots that would mm-hmm. miss with one second left on the shot clock. It was better this year, but there just isn't that guy that they can consistently go to because Bannon being a, you know, a 6'10 swing post isn't in in the offense that they run just isn't going to get those shots easily and mm-hmm. you could tell in that weaver state game he was they had i mean he was like i think like one of seven at one point from the field he just just didn't have the gas and but we just don't have any guys on the perimeter that can score easily mm-hmm. um, well and, and josh just to kind of interrupt for just one second that was my ugly was the offense yeah <laughs> it, and you know offensive drought he was what to cure was running we were running through the post and you kind of kind of with some wings kind of driving it, kicking it back out. But the mo- the ball movement was going to Bannon and then kind of kicking out or our guards kind of driving it and kicking it out as well. My thinking is DeCure, when he has guards, and I go back to Will Cherry, uh, Anthony Johnson, Med Rory, those are when his teams are the best, when he has guards that can get their own baskets, get their own shots, and then he has those bruisers down in the middle, um, you know, Bronson Koenig, um, guys like that where you just have a different more flow. There was no there, – there's sometimes where I was looking at it and I'm like, okay, four guys are, are standing there, and then Bannon's going one-on-one. Yeah. It was it was hard to watch. Yeah, and, I, and again, I think it's – part philosophical but i think the other thing to think about you know at least in the long run is that we're now year three without a a, a, actually a true post player yeah and and so once aco went down and midway through the end of that you know 18 19 season you know we haven't had a true post player since then i mean we've run literally everybody out there i mean he's brought in guys from literally all over the world and they haven't worked out and when you're, and so they're left running a, you know, a four out one in offense. And I just think that it's, especially if you're going to run a post centered offense, it's a little bit easier to defend. And when they're hitting their threes, they're really dang good. But, mm-hmm. but at towards the end of the year, they just sort of, like I said, ran out of gas. Yep. You know, they, they went from shooting, you know, 
high 30s, low 40s most games to, you know, suddenly we're now 2 of 15 from three-point range. And it was the one way to keep the key open and not pack down on Bannon. And then Bannon got better shots. But but again, I agree. I, I just think that, you know, at some point, you know, it's either they bring in a true big that they can find that can sort of anchor some of that defense away from, from Bannon to give free him up, but also at the same point, not allowing everybody else to collapse down in the key and, you know, let us, you know, huck away from the perimeter. But, you know, like I said, that's, you know. Well, and you I, know, I, I, I hope that the development with Beasley, because I, I can see him being a straight up offensively. He has that mentality. He's not scared to shoot a shot. I, I don't know. You, you let me know. Do you think it's a philosophy or do you think it, it was just kind of him in that second part of the season? Because you saw in that first part of that season where he was straight up, I'm going to get my shot. I'm going to drive you down or I'm going to shoot this three right in your face. You know, I've, you know, if you, if you listen to Twitter, which I don't know is ever really a good idea <laughs> um, or for that matter. I, there are people that are convinced that it's, it's philosophical and Travis. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that I necessarily believe that but what i do know is that um as the season wore on and they were putting whitney on the floor more often and parker got less and less playing time Mm -hmm. i started to see this environment where because parker was really good if there was one skill that parker did have is that he would get into that mid-key area instead of spinning around and throwing it out Parker knew where to go with the ball before he got to that point. He was a better anticipatory passer than Whitney is. Whitney's a scorer as a primary ball handler. And the offense bogged down a lot because Whitney would dribble in because he's a big dribbler and he just like spins around and does his uh, twirls in the middle of the key. And then everything is a slow lob pass back out because he doesn't, he's, I mean, I, I think six foot is being nice for Whitney for height wise and teams just collapse on him. And I just think that that's part of the issue is that Beasley stopped getting shots and rhythm where he he could play off the wing. Yeah. When they saw him, they saw him use him as a point guard too, to kind of go off what you're saying to, to get Whitney more of a, uh, offensively, they had him, uh, Beasley take up the ball and be the point guard and then have Whitney kind of come off as well. And then I think that's kind of where you saw Beasley kind of lose the um, offensively too, is is then you're, you're a point guard and you're not looking for your shot as well. Yeah. And I, and again, you know, since we're on the topic, I think Travis has an ethos and, and, and I, a, a, a mantra as to how he wants to run things. He's mm-hmm. a big, huge offensive efficiency guy. Yep. He would rather run the clock for 27 seconds and get a layup than take early possession jump shots, which is sort of what Beasley's game is, which is a flow yep. shooter. And because he doesn't like runouts, he hates runouts. If he can mm-hmm. limit the off the the opposition shots within the course of a game, he's going to win. Well, it's so weird at, at the end of the the year though. They wanted to run. They, he was he yeah. was. I, you could see him saying, "Okay, we can't get our offense going, guys. Let's go, let's go, let's go." So it was kind of weird. You could kind of see him doing things that he normally doesn't do to try to get that offense going as well. Yeah, and again, I think that's just again a product of just how limited they were. I mean, no, no offense to Mac Anderson or DJ Carter Hollinger, but they're not offensive threats. And so when you have three guys on your floor, whether it's before Anderson got hurt, because blank blank knee wasn't an offensive threat either. And, and Owens really wasn't when he was in as the five. And so when you have that, it becomes a lot easier offense to defend and, and so I think that you're limited. And so I, and maybe it was, was a conscious choice by Travis is like, we're going to run every through Bannon because at least we're going to force the defense to move. And early on in the year, they were really good at getting those post skip passes and stuff like that. And then after a while, teams started to figure that out and didn't double Bannon nearly as much, you know, and I think that that ends up becoming one of the problems that they had is that all of the fluidity and the ball movement went out of the offense as soon as uh, teams figured out that, well, they're just going to skip out of here. You know, we'll let Bannon take 15 shots a game, but we're not going to let anybody else get their shots. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and, that, and you can kind of see that that, that three and that three and eight conference record uh, to end the uh, 
the schedule is is what killed us but also you know going off of and get, kind of getting a synopsis of what we've talked about is yeah the rebounding and then the offensive uh movement is what killed us this year but what i thought was kind of interesting i was kind of looked at the overall stats i'm the stat kind of nerd and angel you're not the nerd nope. <laughs> not at all so um i looked at the this year and then last year to see if i could see anything that you know if we got better at something kind of leveled off it was kind of interesting so going off of the 1920 and then this season you know we, we had an increase from 1920 to this year in points per game we were uh field goal percentage uh was 0.1 percent better three point percentage was actually down uh free throw percentage was not that different about 78 and a half percent a little little better than that uh rebounding was down by at least three or four rebounds a game um assists were up by like a half a of assist uh turnovers were down and then steals were up a little bit as well and so just kind of going off of that it kind of we we got more points but we didn't shoot any better if if not anything we 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 didn't rebound we got a little bit more assists and so we turned the turned the opposing team over not as well either because if you go into their opponents the opponents shot worse that uh or points per game but they actually shot better they shot 44 percent um they shot better from three point range at 36 percent they shot better at the free throw line rebounding was a whole lot better the assists were down but turnovers we weren't turning them over as well um and so it kind of goes into okay well it, it kind of re- reiterates what we're seeing uh our defense kind of got bogged down in the opposing teams shot better and they locked us down where they knew what we were going to do offensively. Yeah. I, and I think, again, I think it sort of harkens back to a point that, you know, for the last two years, this offense has been incredibly average. One thing they did do better this year than, than in years past is they got to the free throw line. And that was actually through most of the conference players saving grace yeah. is that we were getting to the free throw line 24, 25 times a game. And we were at one point, the top free throw shooting team in the nation. Yeah. Um, but at the same point, you know, on the defensive end and this is one of those anomalies since travis has been here for as good they are at limiting points mostly because of that overall ethos teams have almost always shot the ball well but Mm -hmm. but again it's on a a lower number of shots per game they've shot the ball well from three but the difference has always been in the margins and this year they're just like last year they're just they're not nearly as good you know, rebounding wise, you know, we were atrocious on the defensive end at giving up, you know, second chances, especially towards the end of the year. And, and I think that just plays out and why you have a three and three, essentially a three and eight slide. So you know, one thing that I kind of yeah. noticed, it's obviously you guys are obviously the stats people, you know, <laughs> but one thing that I kind of looked at just right off the bat was just our travel, how we did well, how well we did travel, you know, huge, huge difference. And as a player, that was something that I struggled with. So I guess I'm just kind of curious, like, why do you think we struggled so, uh, I mean, a lot harder on the road as opposed to being at home? It's easy to win at home. You know, you're a lot more comfortable at your home. But I just want to know your guys' opinion. Why do you think we struggled on the road? You know, I I don't think there's a simple answer for that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, even from the coaching perspective, you know, it's inexplicable to me. I mean, you can have yeah. a great week of practice and then suddenly you get on a bus and then everybody's brains go to, you know, absolute jello and they get on the floor and they can't execute. Mm-hmm. And there's no, there's, and part of it is it's just the mindset of guys sometimes but, you know, the one thing about the Big Sky Conference now, you know, the difference from five, six years ago is top to bottom. I mean, it's a terrible conference RPI net ranking wise. I mean, we were like low 20s all year, but it's still better than it was, you know, five or six years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. the bottom isn't that bad mm-hmm. and they're obviously better. And so when you, when you're not playing your best on the road, those margins are not very small or, mm-hmm. or rather they're, they're not very big. And, and mm-hmm. I think that what you end up with is, you know, bad road record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, well, I completely I, agree. I was just kind of curious about it simply because I, I understand it from a player's obviously perspective, but I just don't understand it, you know, from, I guess your guys' perspective, where you guys are sitting at and how you guys view the game. Well, and Josh, it's interesting because 
uh, you know, you said RPI and net ratings and all that stuff. And if you go into Ken Palm, we're, we're way, way down the list. I, I don't like to see um, Montana State win, but it is, <laughs> it is nice to see Southern Utah and Northern Colorado play those teams that are ne- necessarily in those tournaments that are, are usually probably ahead of us and, and demolishing those teams. Cause I think a lot of it, it, it should be is I don't think a lot of people know how good of basketball we play in the big sky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping that ESPN plus with, with this new kind of um, being able to view us, that'll kind of open the doors because this is my, my opinion. But when we were, those two years that we got matched up with Michigan, that's a joke. That was a oh, joke. <laughs> Should not have happened two years in a row. And I think we got slid down into a lower ranking. We could have had a better ranking than that. And I think we probably could have beat some teams. Um, yeah. But I think it kind of goes off of that. The people don't know how good of basketball we play in the big sky. And also, I also think that the the lower tier big sky teams are getting better. So you see, look at Sac State and Portland State. Those teams are getting better. Uh, Northern Arizona's uh, are getting a little bit better. So so you're raising that bottom level of the big sky where even Idaho beat us. Now, Idaho, yeah. you know, not now. They're losing half their team. Um, <laughs> but uh, you see the lower part of the big sky kind of raising up and I, I i think it's hard it's hard to play on the road it just it just is you can't buy you can't have an off night in the big sky no and and i think one of the other things um and i had made this point a couple of years ago we haven't had as a conference you know significant victories outside of um you know maybe one every four or five years i mean yeah. travis's record against um power five conferences is abysmal yeah. Um, I think he, I think we can credit maybe two wins. I think in the last one was Pitt. Oh no, Washington last Washington. year. So I think he's got yeah. two wins in the, in his tenure against power five conferences and we don't win very many. And there was a point in the eight or the night or the 1920 season where the conference was flat out over mm-hmm. against D one opponents until sometime in mid to late December. And in, and so the only way that from a conference perspective, and I know this is way off the point, but you know, that we're going to get credit nationally is if we start winning some games, those early season games against power five schools. And, you know, this year, you know, we got ran out of the gym three or four times and, and, and the margins, you know, again, are pretty dang small when you're a big sky conference school going into those places and winning, um, but at the same point, you know, I, I do think you're right. I think that the conference is by and large better. And yeah. it just, it just had, they haven't put it where it actually matters. But, you know, top to bottom, you know, next year with 10 teams, uh, you know, I think it'll be as, you know, potentially as deep as the conference has been, you know, in a number of years. Well, and this is my, my kind of opinion. I'm going to throw it out to you. You know, we dominated Air Force. Um, and that that was a lot of people are going to say that's not a power five win. It's and it's not, but it's it's a lower level power five, um, where I think we kind of could see ourselves in basketball, kind of where we're at. You could see um, Boise State, kind of th- those teams where we could play competitively against that are not the upper echelon of the power five. Yeah. So you know, do we? schedule more of those games where they're more winnable and nix some of the power five or do we and this is what i think you get a hold of gonzaga which is we used to play all the time because they used to be a part of the you know whatever conference the what um and and get uh, get a hold of them and and get some games with them because i think that would be really good for university of montana yeah i agree um I think part of the problem is, is that like, I think one of the last handful of home games that I saw, 
um, a Grizz game is when Grizz played uh, Boise State, you know, about 10 years ago. And Leon Rice was still the coach then. And we got a little bit of benefit of some home cooking then. And he said, we would never come back in here and play. And and so there's, there's, there's part of the mentality, especially if you're in that for as good as the Mountain West was this year in mm-hmm. It was incredible, and yeah. then they still go into the into the uh, tournament and go throw a big fat goose egg. <laughs> so, so part of the problem is is that the mentality, at least regionally, is you don't want to lose non conference games, especially on the road against lower lower um, net ranking t- uh, conferences and teams. And so that's where I think you know, it's a double-edged search. I would like to see Montana schedule, you know, I, I would love to see them come here, obviously in San Diego, but, but at the same point, you know, they would be better off if they could s- schedule San Jose state, yeah. um, Wyoming and even Gonzaga. But I just don't know with Gonzaga's profile anymore, um, that they're going to want to schedule Montana because again, I think does it does the risk meet the reward? you know, that type of deal for Gonzaga and for them, you know, even though that they're light years, you know, above us at this point, you know, there's just that risk and, you know, and I just think that that's where the, the mentality for a lot of those, you know, a lot of those, uh, mountain West, um, WCC schools are, is that you don't want to, you don't want to go into places and lose games and they know Dahlberg's a tough place to play. I would love to see more of those because I think that would also going all the way back to your, comment about uh attendance yeah. is that i again i'm not sure that yellowstone college is going to move the dial um <laughs> and but but i think that's sort of where we're at is that travis is doing the money games because the athletic department likes him to do those money games mm-hmm. um because he's getting you know a couple hundred thousand dollars to make those trips and and for him, I think that's the one of the motivations is that, like, hey, I can continue to do whatever I want as long as I'm bringing the department money. Yeah, and and there are, you know, compensations that way with that. And it also helps the, the department as well overall yeah. with all sports as well. So I understand those games, but, man, I just – to, to get like a Gonzaga game or man, yeah. I live in Wyoming to, to have that kind of rivalry with a state that's right by you. Like that would be awesome to have create that. And I think that would be kind of a cool thing. Also, you know, I, I think they should play more California teams because if you look at their roster, that's where they're diving into to get their players. So why wouldn't you go out and play in those areas so that you can get yourself out? There? Yeah. And I think one of the issues that comes up is about availability and what had happened the last couple of years. And this is only just because I had been paying attention to it is that Travis had to be almost tactical with this non-conference schedule because the big sky conference schedule was so big. Yeah. And when they're playing 20 non or 20 conference games, it really slow, uh, makes you have to consider where you're going with your games, but yeah, they, they should play UC Riverside. They should be playing long beach state, UC Mm -hmm. Irvine, and all of those areas where, you know, they've gotten kids out of, whether it's Vasquez and out of the LA Valley area, or you get, you know, all of those guys up in the, the San Francisco Bay area. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, they went to Santa Clara this year, and I think they've got to be able to do that more often. And then they, they've got to win some of those games. Yep. That's a good recruiting tool, was... too. Yeah, yep. super good recruiting. I, like you, I think you made the perfect point, Adam. Being able to play in those areas. I mean, what better way than get the players that you want to recruit to those games and say, hey, watch yeah. how we play ball and how it's so different than what you're probably used to out there and how Montana's – because um, going back to my recruitment pro- process, it's zero idea of Montana, zero. <laughs> I committed to Montana because my coach said, you're never going to regret this decision. Trust me. And I said, I'm going to be honest with you, coach. I don't even know where Montana is on the map. <laughs> and he was just like, please, just do it. And so I did – Best decision I ever made. But I, I, I would have never known beforehand. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I, I knew Sac State more than I knew Montana, you know, which in, in, in the world of FCS football, that shouldn't be a thing. You know what I mean? No, it shouldn't yeah, be. It shouldn't be a thing. So, I mean, I, 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 I see where you're coming from, but I also get Josh. There's a risk to reward. I mean, it has to make sense. And it just seems, you know, it's a game of chess and it doesn't make sense, I think, in a lot of ways, you know, when it yeah. comes to being able to schedule. And you, and you got to be able to win some of those games, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it, 
like Josh said, if we won some of those games, I think it'd be a little bit easier. Um, like you said, t- to get those games. Um, and that Santa Clara game, oh man, we played really well for probably three fourths of that game, and then the last fourth of that game was just not good. Yeah, well, and we were in fa- we were in foul trouble. They bullied the crap out of us. I mean, they have like four guys who I think uh, might have had another life as a defensive tackle. I mean, those guys were so big, and and so they, you know, the the thing is, is that's you know that that's the difference between the levels too, a little bit. It's how Travis recruits, who he recruits, and you know, sometimes I wish we would have that guy that was you know. Six eight and you know two sixty two seventy. Yeah. They could yeah. do a little uh little bo- low low post body work. Yep, yep. So you know to go from there, guys. Where do we go from here? Um, I know that you know development. That that's going to be key. We need to develop our players that we have, and from where we are, where we're at right now, we already know that Kyle Owens is transferring out. Uh, Cameron Parker. I did not know he had another year, but he, yeah. he is going to be a grad transfer. Freddie Brown is going to be a grad transfer as well. And then Jack Wetzel, I believe, is is transferring out as well. Um, so we're losing four guys um, for the transfer. Uh, we're losing Scott Blakeney as uh, his one season here. So we're getting guys – and I'm just going to kind of go over what we have coming in. Rhett Reynolds, he's about a 6'9". 6'10 uh, prospect from Shelby, Montana. Um, Isaiah Kerr, he's from, I believe, uh, California, another guard. I think he's like 6'2, 6'3. Uh, Jackson Knapp, um, which he's a really interesting guy because over the pandemic, when we had the pandemic, he grew like seven or eight inches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read an article about him where he was just like in like pain because like how, how oh, fast yeah. it came. Um, he, I believe, is about six nine, uh, where he could be a really good talent because he was a guard before, so he has a lot of those ball skills. And then Caden Bateman from Missoula, Montana, I believe he's about six seven as well. So we don't have any of the big guys like we were needing. So that's probably where we need to go to. Is we need we're losing we're losing four, but we have four coming in. And we're losing one to graduation. Um, so I believe we'll have one spot or a couple spots, uh, depending on what happens. Where do we go from here? Well, I think the post depth is an issue and posts are notoriously difficult to recruit, um, yeah. mostly because a, there's not, they, there's not many of them. I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't see six foot nine guys growing on trees. Um, but at the same point, you know, they've, I, I think they're, they're in the portal and they're, after guys uh that are that are big dudes um mm. you know they i i saw on twitter the other day that they're after guy from west virginia that's a transfer isaiah cottrell he's six ten. um they've they're after i think um guy from colorado state um another guy from i think the uh there's they're all over the place at regionally but mm. they're all big dudes um, either tall, lanky, seven foot guys, or you know, six ten guys with beef. Um, I because I think they recognize just how paper thin they were down there. So I think the portal is going to be an opportunity for them to try to strike gold for once with a big guy, because it's hard to find them from coming out of the high school level that isn't that aren't you know, you know, four star prospects and going to UCLA or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I also think that I think you said it just perfectly, Josh. I think I think this league is going to be prone to a lot of transfers. You know, I think I think almost uh, what was it like seven teams in the league when I read this article a couple of weeks back that they had some type of transfer, somebody leaving the program. I think it's going to be the, the, the same way across the board. And so because yeah. of that, I think that's what we're really going to be attacking when it comes to this recruiting season in order to really kind of hopefully, you know, find that big man that we kind of need. Again, yeah. it's a flip of the coin, really. You never really know. And I feel like I, even last year, I feel like it was the same thing. We were just hoping, fingers crossed, that we would get that big guy they were looking for. We just didn't end up pulling it off, so we had to do with, with make do with what we had, you know. Yeah. So I'm hoping that this year, you know, flip of the coin, that we actually do get that better side of the ball. Yeah. Well, and I think what part of it was is that Blankney was a, you know, second, third team all conference guy at Idaho. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And had he not had the wrist problem and then he yeah. had a shoulder, shoulder that basically just subluxes every single time he moves yeah. it. And you can't uh, move in those things too. We used no, to have football. You're no. here. You can't get above your head. No. Yeah. And 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 again, I think that's part of the problem is is that they're I mean, you go back even back to Echo, you know, they he didn't finish the season either. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been pretty snake bit on big guys. Yep. And, you know, and, and then the rest of the, you know, just swung and missed, you know, Stedman, you know, melted down, you know, midway through the year last year and just left. And so yep. he's had a really bad run of luck with who they brought in and who they trusted. I'd be a little bit gun shy considering he's like, oh, for 11 now in the last, you know, six or <laughs> three or four years. But, yep. but yeah, you know, bringing up Jackson Knapp, you know, I, I've seen some highlights of that kid. I think he could come in. Um, because they need wings, you know, wing length so much yeah. as a six, yeah. seven, six, eight kid, he could come in and get time. Now, I, I, th- I don't know that he's a starter, but I think he comes in and gets a ton of playing time because he is offensively gifted as a six, seven, six, eight kid. Oh yeah. Uh, very, very. I mean, it, all you need to do, and I encourage anyone who's listening to this to, to go watch his highlight reel because he looks yeah. a little bit like a guard as a six seven six eight kid. So yeah, and that's not a bad skill set to have. It's it's much more difficult to go the other way around. So yeah, it, it is amazing. Just reading in a couple articles where he grew astronomically, and like that's I, I think a lot of teams are gonna kill themselves. Hey, we missed out on this guy. Yeah, we didn't even know, you know, we six months after the pandemic hit, he's what six eight. He was six foot as a guard. Mm-hmm. um it it's good for us of of realizing that yeah. but yeah i i totally agree with you josh and angel of where we need to go we we need to get bigger the only thing is is the transfer portal you know you, like you guys said travis hasn't done a very good or it hasn't he's done a good job of getting players here it just hasn't panned out yeah um, Mm-hmm. But that's just going to be the way that it is right now. There's a ton of transfers. That's not changing anytime soon. And so I think we need to kind of go through this process of realizing, hey, the transfer portal is there for us to use. We need mm-hmm. to kind of be locating these players that we like and kind of just kind of doing a better job of, hey, who can we get? But it, it, it's not going away anytime soon. No, like, and I think like last year at this point, there was over a thousand guys in the portal. Um, There's been about 150 guys um, added in the last three days. Yeah. And so I think we're going to see an increasing number of guys in the portal and it's a matter and Travis likes to go after guys he has developed relationships with. And so that's like when I, you know, I mentioned a couple of those guys is because he recruited them before. Mm -hmm. And whether that actually pans out to mean anything, I don't know. But he's real sensitive about bringing guys who will fit into his team culture. And and so I think he passes on guys who he thinks he knows can be trouble. And whether that's true or not but i i've heard him speak this before but you know when you consider what what montana states brought in through the portal raekwon battle uh you know the kid from northern arizona you know mm-hmm. jalen cone who's like five eight and but can fill the basket up and then um McEwen from weaver state good heavens i mean you know where we struck out they uh they they did well and you can see what it can do to transform your team and i think yeah. you know if you're looking at next year this team could be is likely a top 3 team as it oh, is yeah. right now yep. oh, yeah but if they get the right guy in they go from being you know probably below montana state and weber to being at or maybe better than both of them and that's yeah. just because if we were add the right pieces especially some bulk um this team goes from being average, which it's been the last couple of years, to being what Travis wants, which is this is a team that's going to stifle teams defensively and they're going to punish you on the offensive end. So, but we'll see what happens. Yep. So, you know, let's go into you. You know, Josh, do you want to go into the women's side? Do you? Sure. Yeah, I I watched a good chunk more this year 
um, than I had in recent years. And, you know, to be honest, you know, even as a long time, I went to so many Lady Grizz games when I was growing up and yeah. I got spoiled at watching, you know, all of the, the excellence that Selvig churned in, in and out every year, you know, and then to see where the program is now, it, it, it's hard. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, and I'm not going to hear, I'm not going to throw Shannon under the bus because that's not what I'm here for, but, but it wasn't the program that Robin had. And there were a lot of reasons for it, but it's, it's what I saw on the floor this year from what Holsinger did was night and day different. I mean, and I thought, and I thought Petrino did a heck of a job last year. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and I think he, I think he got sold under a bad star and, And I, and I don't think he was wronged in the way that, that, that some people might think, but, but to one degree or another, I think this is something that Haslam had to do. I think he had to reset the button as much as that. I would have loved to kept Petrino around and, um, and a little bit selfishly Nate Coville, just so that, uh, that we could have her have his six foot six daughter enter the program. Um, cause she is just incredible. She was incredible at Hellgate this year. And, um, anyway, th- I, you know, this year they were so much better just from, mm-hmm. uh, from a holistic standpoint. And I think they're going in the right direction. Yeah. Like, like we said, guys, you know, 19 and 11 overall this year, 12 and eight in the conference, you know, it, it, it you just watching the, the Grizz games, lady Grizz games of this year compared to the following year. You saw a lot more passion, a yep. lot more grit, a lot more just just believability. And, and I, I think uh, uh, Coach Holzinger kind of talked about that. He uh, talked on our podcast and came on, and it, you had to have a buy-in. There was a lot of senior leadership. Um, he got Sammy Fatkin to come back as well, which I think was an, an amazing um, find an amazing get to get her back here. Um, but there had to be some buy-in. Um, and so just from those seniors, you know, shout out to you guys, because yeah. without those seniors, we would not have been anything. Um, Sammy, no. Mackin, Naya Morris, Nelson, uh, Sophia styles, Abby Anderson, and then Ky- uh, Kylie frolic. Hopefully I said your name wrong. I'm sorry if I didn't. Um, but those were our seniors that we had this year. They did an amazing job and it was fun watching them play angel. And I said this uh, quite a bit when we kind of did our updates on lady Grizz, it is fun to watch them play. Yeah. They, they shot, they can shoot the ball very very well very some night and that's where kind of kind of a bad thing is sometimes they would not shoot the ball very well you know i'm just going to kind of run down scoring offense they're number five scoring defense number one they're number one in the margin as well uh field goal percentage on d they're number one uh field goal percentage offense number three rebounding number two and then block shots they were number one as well uh, so, and that's just in the big sky. They did a very good job on the defensive side of the ball. And from time to time, they did a, a, an amazing job at, at getting their shots and hitting them, especially from outside three point range where they were abysmal the, the following year. Um, and so, uh, what are your, what are your guys' takes on that? And, you know, from last year, um, you know, they they were better last year than they were the year before. And, but the biggest, you know, the I, I give Sophie Styles all the credit in the world because she had probably fifteen opportunities to hang it up. Um, she had one injury after another, and her and her knee injury and her rehab program wasn't wasn't the easiest recovery out of, the, of her, from what I've what I've been told. But but the fact of the matter that she came back and she just gutted through it, and and I don't think she was all that healthy towards the end of the year. Um, uh, cause I think she and a couple of the other players ended up with a little bit of a, a COVID bug, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you could tell it wore on them at the end of the year, because like the men, they just didn't have any depth yep. and she had to play 38 <laughs> minutes a game as a, the primary facilitator and probably one of the better defenders in the conference. And you could just sort of see, especially in that playoff game, you know, that they were, 
you know, they, they just didn't have anything left in the tank. And you can, you know, Holsinger said it, he goes, we played our worst game of the year at the worst point, you know, so that yeah. type of deal. But yeah, I, they were so much better this year. They, they exhibited a ton of passion and yeah. interest and engagement that I hadn't seen, you know, since Robin left really. Yeah. Well, and the good, you know, the improvement on offense and defensive side of the ball was night and day, night and day. Um, the flow, the overall just greatness of, of watching it was better too. You know, they, they were up in their points per game, um, field goal percentage, three point percentage, uh, rebounding, rebounding, all those areas, they were up from the following year and everything else was down on the opposing side of, of the defense, except for, you know, their, their free throw percentage. I'm just going off my notes here. Um, so overall, he, you know, Coach Holzinger preaches defense, and, and he said that on our podcast. Is, is he, he preaches defense, um, but it was amazing that they shot a lot more. And then that's just, this is just my opinion. They shot a lot more threes than I was aware of the past year. Do you guys? Did you guys see that as well? Well, part of it was that in the the last two years of Shannon's um, regime, they were so abysmally awful from there but plus they didn't have anybody who could shoot it consistently and they were up they had a double post system and so they just pounded the post pounded the post pounded the post and they were very much you know a classic you know 1980s hoosiers uh north carolina four corners type offense it was really sort of slow and plodding and they did things pretty well but they just couldn't shoot from the perimeter i mean they they had to have been one of the bottom probably 30 or 40 teams in the country those years in perimeter shooting. And it's been the problem even since Robin, you know, they haven't had a pure perimeter player in, in quite a while that, that, that you could probably guess that they're going to shoot 45, 50% from three. And they just haven't had that. And they will go through long chunks of just putrosity from from the perimeter and they and that's sort of what killed them at the end definitely definitely i also well, think too i think one of the things that um coach brian just did like we t- we touched on it a little bit but the passion the, the mm-hmm. buy-in you know i think there's something immeasurable when it comes down to players being bought in um coaches providing a little bit of the passion it, it, everybody feeds off of it and providing the type of confidence to be those types of players that that, that make those yeah. make those shots from obviously be on the arc, you know. So because of that, I think that's one of the things that you can't really measure, but you saw it in the games. If if I'm being honest with you, and this oh. is a good thing for me to say, I was excited about those basketball games, and I can't mm-hmm. say that I've always been excited about those basketball games when I was going to the university. He's, Not because they weren't interesting, they just because there was a different type of passion that 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 brought me and gravitated me towards the program itself. Oh, he is effusively a positive person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and he exhibits it on the sideline. He's not a negative guy. His body language is always positive. Mm-hmm. And I think you know from, you know, and I was a terrible athlete so (laughs) but it's always nice to have a coach you know in your corner that says hey hey you know that shot didn't go you know keep doing it and so when you especially when you're in basketball you know that that's a weird headspace as a shooter you know and so you know and i think that's part of it is is that his general attitude and the whole staff's attitude seem like um it's almost night and day yeah and i think that 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 led to some huge leaps not that mm-hmm. i didn't expect mm-hmm. you know that they were that much better this year yeah yeah well and i i going into this year you know and angel and i talked you know we weren't expecting a night and day kind of turnaround you know when when they were on that that first bit of the uh first part of the season where they were they were they were doing amazing the record was amazing um we kind of knew, hey, when we start conference play, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a little bit harder. Teams are gonna know you. You know, the second time they play you, you're gonna, you know, they're gonna kind of know what you're gonna be running as well. And so you kind of saw them kind of struggle at the end of the Big Sky kind of um, schedule as well, where they just they didn't have enough people, um, where they were running a lot of the same players out there. 
when Sammy uh, Fatkin gets hurt at the end of the season, that kind of hurt us as well. Sophia was out for, for some of it too. I think Abby was at battling some injuries as well. Um, but Carmen G Feller was amazing this year. Yeah. Uh, she, she's going to be a baller next year coming back. I can't wait to uh, see what she does. Cause she had an amazing year this year. Yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think the problem, you know, going forward, and I think one of the things is that if things were going well for them, they were competitive and they, yeah. they competed, but what they the, the sort of, their sort of two Achilles heel all year were the fact that they're just lack of depth. Yeah. and 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 their shooting issues you know they sort of crept up as those those girls had more minutes you know and you could sort of see it out of the Heward girl is that towards the end of the year the, the, she didn't have nearly as much spring mm-hmm. and you know you know and shots started coming up short and she wasn't nearly as good as she was but I think yeah I think that what you saw was the a team that that maybe for all of its pieces was probably better as a sum of its parts rather than, you know, mm. one or two individual pieces. And I think that's what Holsinger wants, you know, that everybody sort of, you know, chips in and does their thing. But they did just lack a little bit of, especially perimeter athleticism. Uh, mm-hmm. NAU showed that in spades, you know, over and over again. And that's sort of the same degree of what they got when when they play MSU is that, you know, outside of, you know, styles on the perimeter, they just struggled handling teams who had really uber athletic wings and wings and guards. Yeah. Well, and Haley Heward, I got to give it to her being a freshman. She, she balled out, man. Yeah. She, she did an amazing job as a freshman to be thrown into that position where she's playing a vital role in their, that basketball team. Uh, I, I, I can't give her enough credit for how she played, but you know, going into They've got a, a couple of recruits coming in. They have Alex uh, Purog from Highland Ranch, Colorado. I've heard uh, she, she's a she's a baller as well. So Libby Stump from uh, Ferndale, Washington. Drea Wacker from Melstone, Montana. And then I'm going to say this one not uh, wrong. Um, Akendra Koenig from Ontario, uh, up in Canada. So they've got four four girls coming in that from what I've seen and what I've heard are, are pretty good ball players. So it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how, what they have and what's coming in meshes and to see how, what they've got last year when um, coach uh, Holzinger kind of uh, recruited to see how they kind of develop and how they put all those pieces together. Yeah. Well, Koenig's a top, top 100 ESPN girl. Yeah. And I think she comes in and plays immediately next year. Um, because it's what they were missing, you know. She's a she's a, a shooting guard, um, perimeter facilitator type type girl, and and she's legit. Um, the thing about Perogue is that I think she's going to be a little bit in that that uh, Abby Anderson model, tall, lanky, really long arms. Um, I think she's going to be a good post defender. But the thing is, is that she's she profiles actually more as a forward than as a true center. Um, and so I think she's going to be able to do some things. I think at least in those two, they're, they're definitely bringing the, the athletic athleticism game, which I think is going to help a ton, you know, in helping them navigate, which was sort of the, again, the weakness, which I think that they were just not nearly as athletic as, uh, other teams were, you know, down the road. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, and you know, the, the confidence, you know, you, you kind of saw that at the end of the year where it kind of waned, like they had confidence and it was kind of where, where they weren't hitting shots. It, you could see the kind of the confidence level go down and, and that kind of affected the defense as well. When they weren't shooting well, the defense wasn't, wasn't doing as well as either. So they're getting, getting their momentum from how well they were doing. Um, and so that, that'll be something to kind of see as well. Another year in the system, um, how that confidence kind of grows, you know, that, that coaching staff, I am a total buy-in with that coaching staff where, mm-hmm. where they have, you know, Sullivan and, and all, the, and, and all those coaching staff to have two great women players on that staff. Oh yeah. I think from, from whoever yeah. you could have got those two women were the perfect pieces in that coaching staff. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, with having bringing Tinkle back, you know, especially in the environment of where I think she could have probably landed on if she um, 
ever wanted to coach, she could have ended up on any women's call uh, program in the in the United States because of her background and pedigree. I mean, yep. um, and the fact that she chose back to come back to Missoula was a big a big re- a recruiting hall for Holsinger um, yeah. because she's going to be able to recruit um, in ways that the other ones won't. But he's got a he's got all of the 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 capital i mean that was the word on the street when he got hired was that he is an incredible recruiter and and the fact that he brought koenig in um is a is a a pretty pretty good uh, statement of that fact mm-hmm. and you know I, I i don't honestly know that he's going to be able to get uh, heward's younger sister here um since she's a top 25 national player but if he were able to do that i think uh you know i'll uh I'll, I'll go full on in on the, uh, I'll drink the whole singer Kool-Aid as it were. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, guys, do you have any final thoughts? Like we've done both women's and men's kind of end of the year recap, you know, both of them, you know, it wasn't what we wanted, but you know, with the women, we saw some, some bright spots in that, uh, kind of renovating or rejuvenating that program. Uh, we saw some bright spots in the men's team with with some work to do on the men's side as well. Any closing final thought? Uh, you know, I, I I said this, you know, and because I like to, you know, tilt at windmills on eager is, but I'll I'll mention this again. <laughs> um, you know, what I think is important to remember, especially about the men's program, is that if you go back to two thousand, you know this this is a program that is the best team in the Big Sky Conference. And has been in and out, but I get the people that weren't showing up this year, but I think there's a lot of reasons for it, but everybody wants, might want to put that as a referendum on Travis, but I think the talent's clearly there. And I think you just have to trust in Travis. Um, Clearly it was a down year on all parts, but, but at the same point, I I don't have a reason not, not to doubt that he doesn't figure out what he needs to get things done. And this team will be, you know, easily, you know, one of the, the top two or three teams in the conference next year, especially with all the talent they have. So, you know, that's where I'm at with the men's team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, d- I definitely see them being a top top three, top four team coming back. Um, it, it's just how they, how they put that together, what they get from the transfer portal. And, you know, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, what they could or couldn't lose, you know, going forward into the next season you just you just never know with, with these days yeah. that we live in you just never know what's going to happen no in the transfer portal's odd in the sense that you know I, I think that in the long run it can actually help you know middle and lower tier conference teams like uh where the big sky conference and teams like montana i mean i don't know how how Weber ended up with McEwen for Marquette, but they did. And I don't know yeah. how, and I don't know how Northern Arizona ended up with a kid from Virginia tech, but obviously it's going to help teams rapidly improve. And, you know, I think, you know, Travis, you know, knows the system. I just think that it's a matter of finding guys who fit what he wants to do. And, and like I said, I just feel like they're just one or maybe two pieces away and if they can find a way to get them out of the portal, then, you know, I'm the biggest fan of the portal in the world. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Hey Josh, you know, we can't thank you enough for spending your time with us on a Thursday. And Oh yeah. Thank you. I, again, I really appreciate it. And uh, this is a great opportunity to sit down and talk, you know, basketball and sports with, with some like-minded individuals, which is always nice. So mm-hmm. I can't complain. Like I mentioned earlier, it's just such a refreshing perspective. You know, it, it just adds to the show and adds to the quality of it, man. And you're a quality person. Yeah. So we're just grateful to have you here. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime, um, any way I can help. Uh, thanks again, guys.